Vectors is a half-day event that explores identity and design and how it impacts work, communities, and the world at large. Some of the most innovative minds in the design industry will be there, such as Chikizi Ijiasi, Robin Kanner, Jacinda Walker, Helena Price, and others, including Revision Path. Vectors takes place in San Francisco on June 15th and tickets are on sale now. Just $20 for general admission and students get in for free. Space is limited, so visit wearevectors.com and get your ticket today. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with George Kettenberg, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. I think, for me, the best advice that I've been given is basically to just do a lot of work. I'm a self-taught designer. I didn't. I don't have any like real formal design education. So for me, it's always been, you know, just trying to make as much as possible and spend as much time as I can just creating. Yeah, I think that's the best advice I've gotten is just to just do a lot of design and push through it. And even though you might suck at first, um, if you keep pushing on it, eventually you'll break through. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Mapbox is looking for a cartography manager and MailChimp is looking for a design manager. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to not only send emails, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for absolutely free. MailChimp. Send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. You know, domain names aren't just for websites. You can also use them to create a more professional, on-brand email address. I mean, if you've already spent money to get the domain that you want, why not just go the extra step with your email address? And if you need a hand, Hover's awesome support team is there to help you. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. So whether you're looking to build something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. And we've got a fantastic deal for you. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview. I'm talking with Datriana Meeks, a senior product designer at Spotify. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So I'm Datriana. I'm a senior product designer at Spotify, and I work on mobile and web experiences. <laughs> Walk me through like a typical day at Spotify. I'm really curious. I know that for everyone that's listening, we're all familiar with Spotify and them being kind of a music app, but you're working on the mobile side. Kind of walk me through a typical day with what you do. So interestingly, I don't currently work on mobile and I actually don't work on the main Spotify product either. If you're familiar with the free tier, the way that we sort of monetize that is through ads. And so I'm work, uh, thinking about just the way that we serve those and how to make that experience uh, more engaging and interesting for both like advertisers and for listeners. 
Uh, so a typical day for me, I usually get to work somewhere between nine and 10, grab some coffee in our awesome kitchens, and then head to my desk. So when I get there, I might check email. I don't get that much email in that most of our conversations happen on Slack. So it might be like a few emails that people send out just letting you know like what's going on with their team and like giving you an update. Then from there, I'm like checking Slack, checking Trello to see like what I need to be focused on for the day, probably making some form of, of a to-do list either digitally or like on a notepad just to keep up with like what I need to do in between the many meetings that I have. And then I'll sort of go back and forth between like probably blocks of meetings and then like individual work time in sync with like the designers that I work with about like what they're working on that day, any sort of overlaps we have in our work, if we need to like do a brainstorm together or we need um, like some sketching done and we want to get some other people involved. So I do that. And then we have like a lot of employee resource groups at Spotify. So on any given day, there's likely a FICA, which is like, it's Swedish for something, but I'm not sure what it is. But basically, it's like a time where you can like get together, have coffee and like some sort of snacks and like just chat with people. So we have one for like design team. We have one for like black employees and many other sort of groups. So I'll probably have one of those and then like wrap that up, go back to my desk, do a bit more work at home or to some like event, because that seems to be a thing that's like taking over my life at this point. Doing events or going to events? going to events. So just making sure that I'm like staying active in the design community. So I go to, I try to go to like one meetup a week. Sometimes it's more than that. Other times it's less, but just like design or or tech talks or things like that, or things related to podcasts. It just kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for that week. And I'd imagine, you know, in New York City, there's probably tons of those kinds of events every week. Absolutely. Yes. (laughs) I was trying to do this thing last year where I said I would go to one event a month here in Atlanta. And I mean, I mean, we have monthly meetups. I don't know if we have enough stuff to go to things every week that is kind of particularly just about design. Maybe if I branched out into design and tech, there would be stuff every week. But what are kind of some of these events? I know that New York City is really kind of bustling with a lot of activity right now around design and technology. Yeah. So some common ones that I go to, one is like designers and geeks. And oftentimes those are hosted at Spotify. So there's like an organization called Designers and Geeks, and then they'll like have their event at Spotify. So it's really easy for me to just like work a little bit later and then just like head downstairs and go or upstairs and go to the event, which is pretty cool. And it's also great that there's that like partnership. So it makes it a lot easier for Spotify employees to be active in the community when so many of the things that are happening take place in our space. Outside of that, uh, there's another meetup called like Design Driven, and it's hosted by First Mark Capital, which I think is like a VC firm. And they have their events at like different locations every like few weeks or whatever. So the last one I went to was at BuzzFeed, and they had like four different designers come and talk, one from like Hillary's campaign team, uh, one from eBay, somebody from Facebook. And it's really just like a chance to see what other people are working on, how they're approaching things um, at other companies, and just to like network too. For you, what is the design community like in New York City? You know, as much as I go to those events, I still kind of don't feel that tapped into it. And I think it's for a couple reasons. One is like the way that I find my inspiration is typically outside of design related things. So, yeah, like like I'm on dribble, but like that's not the thing that's going to inspire me to do something or make me think about how to do my work better. It's more just like regular conversations with friends or meeting someone new and learning about what they do. And then being able to think about like, what is the intersection of a problem that they're dealing with and like my skill set, which is design. And for me, that's often more exciting and more compelling than just like, oh, look at this great interface. Like that doesn't necessarily excite me at this point because I think like we're just like oversaturated with that stuff. So the more fun stuff I find and like the better problems to solve are around like using design to solve like some other thing rather than like design for design's sake. So even though I go to those events and I meet people and it's cool to see what people are working on, that's not like particularly where I get my inspiration. And then because I came into design, like not knowing many designers, I find that I'm probably very insular about the way that I approach my career in that like most of my friends are not designers and they do work in creative industries, but I really value their input and like the skill sets that they bring that and like what I can learn from them and then think about like 
again, that was sort of intersections of like what they think about design and how I can make whatever I'm making like easy enough for them to understand or that kind of thing. Let's talk about kind of how you got into design. And you said you got in not knowing any designers. You started out at Howard University. You've had a guest on the show who are very proud Howard alums and you studied business. Is that right? I did. (laughs) How did you sort of make that jump from business to design? Like walk me through that. I studied business, particularly marketing, because for me, it was like that it was a sweet spot of not being like a starving artist and like being able to take care of myself and be fairly self-sufficient, but then also being able to be creative. And I think like when I was studying marketing, we were just sort of encroaching upon the stage at which everything was like now digital marketing and all you care about is metrics and it's less like Mad Men and more like analytics. And so I wasn't necessarily interested in the analytics portion. I wanted to like be thinking about events and branding and the more creative side of things. And I feel like the data kind of took us away from that, or at least it wasn't necessarily what I was interested in. So that was number one. And then most of the like work experience that I had while I was an undergrad didn't actually turn out to be marketing related. So I like worked for the government for a bit for like multiple agencies and then I worked for Deloitte doing like government consulting for a summer, which led to like my first full time job. And like most of those projects were also like strategy and operations. And then when I graduated, I went back to Deloitte full time. And my first project was like for the Postal Service. They were doing a redesign of their self-service kiosk and mobile app. And while what I was working on was just like the strategic portion and like making and like project management, we had hired a third party contractor, AKQA, the agency to do the actual design work. And I just happened to be in a presentation that they gave, like showing what they had come up with. And I was like, this is so cool. And also the thing that I should be doing because it looks way more fun than what I'm doing right now. And so that sort of like sparked my interest in design and just reminded me that I had always like had this interest, but was honestly just like too afraid to pursue it. And also wanting to make sure that I was going to be able to like continue to live in DC and like, be independent and not particularly need to rely on family. At that point, I decided to like pursue design a little bit more. I started taking like some online classes. I, a few years later, like a year and a half after that, I took a part-time class at GA just to like validate my interest in UX. Because when I first started, I was just like doing anything that had design on it from like branding and lettering and like all kinds of creative things to figure out which of those things I liked best. And then I sort of stumbled into like UX design, learn more about what it was. And then I was like, okay, I think I want to go to grad school just to like formalize my interests. And I had always had this like thought in the back of my head that I should have studied graphic design in undergrad. Now I think I'm like <laughs> wise enough to know that my path was meant to be and that having a business background is super valuable for me in the work that I do now. And I think in the direction that product design in general is going in, so much of it is needing to understand like business value and metrics and all that stuff in addition to the creative side. So I, I think I have the perfect blend and like marriage of skills at this point, but I didn't always feel that way. And so that was what made me feel like I should go to grad school and just like formalize my learnings, be able to network with my professors who worked at companies that I was like super interested in. And so I decided to go to grad school for two years. I moved to New York and completely shifted careers and just like focused on that for two years. Yeah, a lot of design now, particularly for designers that work for, you know, SaaS companies like a Spotify or something like that, you know, data and business tends to be super important in the work that you do. It's not just about making it look nice and making it look pretty. It's also how do you take the data from the analysts and the researchers and use that to inform kind of what your design skills are or or what you actually are designing for the product. I know that there are a lot of students and and alumni I've talked to from design schools that wish they had that kind of businessy type of background to help kind of better inform them in the work that they're doing as opposed to sort of learning it on the job, if that makes any sense. Yep. Now, you went to General Assembly for a little bit. How was your time there? Did you find that that really was a good segue into the work that you're doing now? For me, it was because, so I decided like, what was that? Maybe December of 2013 or no, maybe like October of 2013 that I wanted to go to grad school and I knew I wanted to move to New York. So I only applied to art schools in New York. And then, so I I applied to Parsons, no, not Parsons, to Pratt. 
into NYU. And then I almost applied to SBA, but I went to an open house program that was more focused on like hardware. And I realized like, it was like a really great presentation and I really felt like the spirit of the school, but I didn't want to work in hardware. So I backed away from that. And then I looked at the program that I ended up going to and I was like, I didn't feel like I had the skills to go there yet. It just seemed like very code heavy for me, which is interesting because it turned out not to be that code heavy. So I like put that one in the back of my mind, like, I don't think I'm like ready for that. And then the class at GA actually was just like a part-time course. So I was still working my full-time job and going there like some evenings. And it helped me like develop a portfolio and have like more UX projects and like actual case studies to put into my portfolio. And it kind of gave me the confidence to be like, okay, I'm going to apply. Like they accepted applications on a rolling basis. So I decided that I was going to apply and just see what happened. So GA gave me like the project that I needed to round out my portfolio with like some more UX focused things, apply to SBA, the MFA and interaction design program. And then I ended up getting waitlisted because technically I applied after the deadline, even though it's, they said they accepted applications on a rolling basis. And so when I got the waitlist paper, I had also gotten a scholarship from ITP at NYU. And I still knew that I wanted to go to SBA because it is sort of that marriage of like strategy and business and design. And so I felt like I needed that. That was exactly what I needed in order to get where I wanted to go. So I reached out to the chair and she was nice enough to like really look out for me. And I got off the wait list. And so I decided to go there. And that's where I spent my time. Yeah. Now, I first heard about you actually in 2014 when we profiled you for 28 Days of the Web. And yeah, at that time you were, I think, just getting into the program or you were just starting the program at SVA, getting your master's in interaction design. What was that program like? Because when I saw it on your LinkedIn profile, I was like, it seemed to be really heavy in a lot of different types of fields that I don't think are specifically design-ish, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I saw things like slow code and things of that nature. Can you talk about what the program was like for you? Yeah. So for me, it's like perfect for a career changer especially if you know where you want to go afterwards or like the kind of job that you want. So thinking about ITP, people are like, why would you like pass up a scholarship? And for me, in the way that I learned, it felt like a little bit too playful or exploratory. Like I need more like rigidity and like structure to the way that I learned. And so I really liked that. It just felt like very organized and like I didn't have to pick what classes I was going to take or anything. It's just like these are the things you need to know to be like a well-rounded designer. And I like that. So you're right. There were like a few coding classes that we took, one that was like dealing with processing and just like making sort of weird things with code. But it was great in that you can kind of decide what you make, but you didn't have to decide what classes to take. Then we had like another class like smart objects. So using like Arduino and different sort of like hardware stuff, but then also being able to code it and make projects like that with like smart objects. And we also worked with students from like the product of design program. So we could sort of bring like the interaction specific uh, skill set and they could bring like more code and more physical skill set. And we can sort of put those together and make something great, which is like what you would do in the real world with like a cross-functional team. So that was really awesome. And then beyond that, there's like an entrepreneurial component. So one like standout class that we have is entrepreneurial design. And basically for my year, we had to run a Kickstarter project and you only get like two weeks to decide what it's going to be. <laughs> and that was so interesting because it was my first time sort of working in public. And also I'm fairly indecisive sometimes. So figuring out what I was going to do with two weeks and then coming up with like all the branding and assets that I needed to upload a campaign and then figure out how to market it was, it was just like an amazing experience, but also extremely scary, but it was like very valuable in that the point of the class was not to have run a successful Kickstarter. It was to learn all the lessons that come with like being entrepreneurial and working in public and getting feedback and iterating on the fly rather than like spending so much time planning something, executing, and then maybe it's still not what you want it to be. At least like if you fail early and get feedback, you can like fix the things. So definitely like all over the place, there were also some just like typical UX based courses, but the idea is really like as a product designer or UX designer, like you're thinking more than just about the experience. You have to work with like stakeholders. You need to understand their needs. You need to understand user needs. You need to be able to like synthesize those things and figure out where they overlap and how that, like how you use that to make the best experience for both sides. 
And I think the program was like exactly that because that's where we learned. Like it wasn't just focused on one thing where once you leave, you're going to be this like amazing visual designer. It's like, if anything, you learned how to think. And that's way more valuable because as the industry changes and we move into like voice related things or things that have no interface, no physical interface, you're not going to really need to use Photoshop or Sketch every day. You'll need to be creating frameworks for how things work and like designing conversation, which is like weird. But if all you know how to do is like use the perfect filters in Photoshop, then you're not really prepared for like where the industry might go. So I think it's great because it's like a diverse set of things that you learn, but ultimately it sets you up to kind of always be employed if you want to be, because you know how to think about things. Yeah. I know that a lot of the kind of really hot cutting edge slash bleeding edge tech now really, I mean, the interfaces are not something that you're going to be able to work with in Photoshop or sketch or something like that. It might be augmented reality. I mean, we had someone from Google on that talked about daydream VR. Even when you think about like the internet of things and home automation, like you said, designing conversation it's not something that you can really find a tutorial about on linda and <laughs> right. you really have to kind of go somewhere and 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 learn a different like a different set of skills in order to apply that to the design that you have i like that you said that the program taught you how to think which i think for designers is very important because we come into you know this industry of course with our talent with our innate ability to you know, solve problems, et cetera. But how do you take that and then apply it to something that is is completely different than a branding campaign? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, we have a series on our blog, which we kind of need to start it back up, but we have a series on our blog called Student Perspectives. And it was actually inspired by a current SVA student, an undergrad student. And he had reached out to me and kind of wanted to share uh, his experiences about his time there. And one thing that he brought up, which is a common thread that I've heard from a lot of black students at some of these kind of top art and design schools, is a lack of support and representation. Did you feel that in any sort of way while you were at SVA? Uh, yes and no. I mean, like as a person of color, as a black woman, it is like hard to not notice when you're the only one. <laughs> so I was the only black person in my class. And in the class below me, there was one black person. And like every year, maybe there's one, but some years there isn't. So, I mean, I felt that. But at that point, it was for me like, I'm just really focused on like doing well and like getting exactly what I came for. And yeah. like, it wasn't like I had dealt with any issues like race related issues or anything like that. Like I had a really great experience. I felt very supported. But my program also had 17 people. But I knew the chair directly because we had emailed before when I was like on the wait list and like her assistant who handled like also operations for the whole department. Like we were very close. And these are two people who I feel like I can talk to at this point about anything career related or not. Or if I'm like, oh, I want to get involved in this other thing. Like I know that they're both looking out for me and honestly have my best interest at heart. So I didn't really have that problem because my program was so small and because I was vocal when I needed to be. Though I can see how someone could feel that way, especially in undergrad, because the classes are much bigger. Yeah, because I figure by the time you get into graduate school, you know what you want. You know, you're you're kind of just more focused. You're probably older. And that's not to say that the student didn't have viable claims by saying that. But I get what you're saying. So it's, It's a smaller class. You were definitely sounds like more focused on exactly what it is you wanted because you knew this was a career change for you. And so you kind of didn't let that, I won't say deter you, but you you knew it going into it, what it was going to be, but it didn't stop you. Yeah. And I mean, I think they both set me up to like, to really like shine and be my best self. So any opportunities that they thought I was good for, they didn't like make it a secret that they wanted to recommend me for things or connect me with people. So yeah, I feel like even though it was small and I was the only, I never felt uncomfortable and people were actually looking out for me, which was awesome. And I think that was helpful in like going on this journey of like as a designer, all you do is present and you like the way that you represent yourself is such a big part of your brand and like representation. And so I think me being able to like get rid of even the little bit of shyness that I may have had then and like just become a better presenter and feeling more comfortable with who I am professionally and just like not needing to code switch as much as I did 
probably in my consulting career, like having that support and feeling comfortable really allowed me to just like flourish. That's awesome. That's really good to hear. Like having that, like you said, that support to really make sure that this is what you know you want to do and being able to kind of thrive in this situation where, you know, I mean, like you're saying, as a black woman in this industry that is mostly white men, you have to find that way to kind of stand out. What has kind of been the biggest compromise that you've had to make to get to where you are today? I know you grew up in Chicago, you went to undergrad in D.C., then you moved to New York, and you've kind of had this really big shift, it sounds like, throughout your your career to get to where you are now. What's been the biggest compromise you've had to make? That's a good question. In my career, I would say my biggest compromise was probably like my feelings and my personality. Just like I did not feel comfortable with who I had to be in the earlier part of my career, who I thought I had to be. I don't know if it was like just me inflicting this on myself, but I also know that like consulting is what it is. You need to like always be on. And I just, one, I didn't love the work. And then two, I didn't feel like I could be myself. And so a huge compromise because it's like it just takes such a toll on you when you basically have to be a shell of yourself in professional settings but I am my best me and like the best designer I can be when I'm just me and if I can't do that then I'm not doing my best work so now like I think my journey within tech like every role that I've had has gotten me like a step closer to being able to be as close to like my authentic self as I can be like in a professional setting and I just think my work gets better because of it like I'm super comfortable at Spotify. I think like people care about what I'm interested in. It doesn't have to be the same thing that they're interested in. And that just allows me to like be me, throw my opinions out there and not need to be like worried that people are going to think it's a bad idea or whatever else it is. Like I can just be myself and that just lets me be comfortable so I can focus on like getting to the best ideas. And that's a compromise that I think I took for granted, like how much it impacts my work Mm -hmm. and how it impacts like my ability to be genuine and have relationships with people that I work with. And you've had the chance to do work, you know, you're now at Spotify, but you've had the chance to do work for American Express. Uh, you've done some work with Etsy. You even had a fellowship at NYC Media Lab with Hearst. What did each of those experiences kind of teach you leading up to where you are now? Sure. So I'll start with the fellowship. That project just taught me more about the craft of design and like what I wanted my design process to be like. So I got to work on a project by myself for like four or five months. And it was just cool to be able to like explore my own thoughts and ideas, conduct my own research and just really work across the entire design process from beginning to end. And that was kind of my first sort of professional time doing that. Like I had done that before for GA, but it was just like student projects. And so this one got me a little bit closer to like a client, not that Hearst was the client, but they were able to be like subject matter experts on like news and media and that kind of thing as I was like working through the project. And so that was really interesting and just figuring out like how I want to work when I'm working alone. And then when I worked at Etsy, my role was just user research. And that taught me what I didn't want to do because I quickly learned that I didn't want to be a full-time researcher. But that's really important because when you come from another field, you're kind of looking for the path of like least resistance. So what's the easiest way for me to like break into this field and then maybe I can get to my dream role. So if I would have done it like that, maybe I would be a full-time researcher right now and then be trying to be a designer a few years from now. But that wasn't really what I wanted. Like I knew when I went to SBA that I wanted to be a product designer and I wanted that to be my title not UX designer. I don't even know why I got so wrapped up in that, but that was like on my mind. So at Etsy, I learned like I didn't want to be a full-time researcher and that I enjoyed being a part of the research process and like working with researchers, but I wanted to be a part of executing on what we learned and like what the findings were from the research. So that was super helpful. I also learned just like what kind of culture I work best in. It was like very chill, but everyone like got their work done and were like highly productive people, very smart, but I realized like people didn't need to be like breathing down your neck for you to be a great designer or great at any role. And so that was the first time I realized like how much like culture impacts the kind of work and the quality of work that people can do. And I'm like, yeah, I think I work better in this environment. Like just give me some idea of what we're working towards and then I can like go off on my own 
work on it and come back and say like, this is what I found. Do you have feedback and continue to iterate in that way rather than like you spelling out exactly what you want from me and like checking in with me every 30 minutes to see where I am with it because that doesn't work for me. So that was really helpful. And then at Amex, I interned and then went back full time and I learned what kind of teams I like to work with. So when I interned, I was on the mobile team and we all sat together. Literally, I could turn around and talk to other designers, the product manager, and the engineers. And that was really awesome because even though I finished the design and I handed it off to a developer, they can come over to me and ask me questions. We can sit together and we can do like QA on the visual of it and just make sure that it's the experience that I intended for it to be and just go back and forth, like asking each other questions where it's extremely collaborative. And it's not like, oh, I've handed it off to the developer. They're going to work on it over there and then like throw it back over the wall, hopefully. But you kind of never know until you see it in the wild and you're like, that's not what I made. So, yeah, I learned at Amex just how I wanted to work with people and like the way that I think teams should be designed. Have you had any kind of mentors or anyone that has helped you out along the way? Because I would imagine you know, changing your career like that, you kind of would need some guidance to know this is what I want to do. This is what I don't want to do without too much trial and error. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any like official mentors. (laughs) I'm sort of like throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks, but in the most calculated way, because I know exactly what I want and like where I want to be. And I think that's probably been the most helpful is just like me being very specific because I don't necessarily feel like I have someone that I go to to be like my sounding board that's like a professional designer. I would say like, I mean, like Liz Danzico, she's the director of the program that I went to at SBA. And she's like not my mentor, but I know that if I have questions about professional things, I could ask her. And so like at the end of last year, I knew that I like wanted to do a career like a shift and we had a chat about it. She told me like a few things that she thought I could be interested in or like do. And so we, I've sort of kept her up to date on my journey to Spotify. But other than just like that conversation that I had with her, I don't really have like professional designers or people just more experienced than me in general that I really talk to about my career. It's been really hard for me, actually. Like when I was in grad school, I was like sort of looking for a mentor and I kind of had that go left a little bit. And so since then, I've been very apprehensive of being like, hey, will you be my mentor? And just more focused on like, what are the things that I can do and steps that I can take to get me closer to where I want to be. And as people start to see how I work and how I move, they sort of reach out to me. And it might just be more like congratulatory and less like I want to be your mentor. But then it just kind of lets me know like, okay, I'm on the right track. And then, I mean, at work, obviously you get like feedback and that kind of thing. And so I've just been really adamant about making sure that I'm getting feedback from all different levels of people that I work with just to be better at my craft and like become a better leader. And that's something that I've expressed to my managers. Just like, I do want to get into like leadership, I think at some point, but also if I don't and I stay an individual contributor, how do I do that? And not just be like, oh, she's a great designer and that's it. But like thinking about new partnerships and just ways to continue to drive the business, even if I don't manage people. What about like peer mentors? Are there even like people that maybe are kind of on the same level as you that, that help you out, that advise you or anything like that? I have like minimal friends in New York who are designers. And so well, we keep it's up. Not be designers, but just like people that, I mean, it could be even just life advice and stuff like that. Mm, honestly, for that kind of thing, the main person that I talk to is my girlfriend. She's like on a similar journey now to like being a data scientist and like doing a major career change as well, similar to what I did a few years ago. And so we have this weird specific understanding of what it's like to go from something that would seemingly be unrelated to the thing you want to do, but then going to grad school and kind of like making it work for you. So yeah, she's like my main sounding board and probably knows way more about design than she wants to, because I need to like give her context so that she can give me the right advice. And like, sometimes I'll talk to my mom, but like, not really. A lot of times I'm really just relying on like what I think is the best decision. And I mean, it's not always right, but it's been working out okay so far. But I have been thinking recently about like mentorship and then also things related to just like finances and budgeting and just like how to be a better adult career aside, because right now my career feels like, okay, I'm where I want to be. What are the other things in my life that I want to get together? 
And like, I know that I want to get into like giving talks and I've thought about having my own podcast and I want to like write. And so design for me right now feels like I'm okay. And like, I want to focus on being great at my job. So then I, I can spend like my free time thinking about the other things I want to be great at, which is like writing and speaking. Yeah. I was just going to ask, like, do you feel at this point where you're at in your career as a mentor, even something that you want? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would love to have a mentor, I think, but it's also like, do I want a mentor or do I want like a more experienced designer who is like more of a friend? And it's like, when I need advice, I know I can also talk to you. Like I'm totally open to a mentor. I think it would just be great to have somebody who kind of understands how the industry works and then can like give me advice with that experience because not many people know, especially like people of color and then like women of color. And I think I would specifically want a woman of color to be my mentor, but I'm open and I think it would be cool. But I kind of feel like <laughs> it was interesting. Like a few weeks ago, I went to an event to like be matched with a mentee. And it's crazy because six months ago, I would have been applying to be the mentee. But it seemed like people recommended that I apply for it. They instantly put me into the mentor category. And I'm like, hey, I've only been designing, but for so long. How did I, like, I feel like I skipped over the mentee phase and moved into the mentor phase. And no one sees me in that way. So it just makes it that more difficult for me to find one. Where do you draw strength from? Like, where do you pull strength from? What keeps you motivated with what you do? I mean, I think I'm pretty intrinsically motivated, honestly. Like, I really enjoy design and just, like, having great ideas and, like, working with people and reaching, like, awesome solutions. And so, like, to finally feel like I'm where I want to be, that is the thing that drives me the most. It's like, wow, I said I wanted to do a thing, like, three years ago, and today I am doing that thing. And back then it was, like, me just like thinking out loud and then taking small steps. But those steps got me to where I wanted to be. And so for me, it's like, this is what you asked for. So like, you need to show up and like, it gets hard sometimes, but that's sort of the thing that grounds me. And then also knowing that back then I didn't feel like I had anyone I could run my ideas by. I try to make sure that I can be that person for people, which in the last few months has actually been kind of overwhelming, but it's like, this is also what I asked for. Like I said, I wanted to be a resource for other people and that I don't want anyone else to feel like they're alone or they can't have a mentor. And so that's where I come in. But then it's like, now I'm being pulled in all these directions. And so it requires me to just like get better at time management and knowing when to say yes and no to things. But ultimately I am motivated by being able to help other people feel like there is representation and they know a person who looks like them that is doing the thing that they want to do. So it sounds like being that role model or that that possibility model that you didn't have is sort of what fuels you right now. Definitely. What are you excited about at the moment? Ooh, good question. Honestly, I'm excited for summer. <laughs> um, summer in New York is like life changing. It's a good thing that it's only like a few months because otherwise you would be broke. Like your whole budget is blown. But I'm just excited for the summer. Like I know that because like Spotify is like a Swedish company in the summer, a lot of people who work in the Stockholm office, like that's when they take a lot of time off. And so we in New York get to be like very focused during the time that a lot of them are out of the office. So I'm excited for just like increased productivity at work and just like being able to ship cool things and like get feedback on those things and really just like continue to like learn about what I'm working on, learn about my team and be great at my job because I've only been there for two months. Wow. You, oh, you just started at Spotify. Yeah. Well, less than two months, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. Excited about summer. Trying to think what else. We just came off the like amp brunch, as you mentioned. And so I'm excited to figure out like what other side things I want to work on. Like, I had a chat with a friend on Sunday about like things that I would want to give talks about, things that I would want to write about. And similarly, like one thing that I am really passionate about is just like people understanding the value of the skills they have before they transition to something new. And so I think I want to do a little bit of writing about that. Also really passionate about like this whole introverts versus extroverts argument that people are continuing to have and why introverts are treated like they are like not valuable in professional settings. And so thinking about ways in which that 
I can sort of shift and alter that conversation. Let's talk about Amped Brunch, because I know that you are a, you mentioned actually on your Twitter profile, you say you're a podcast fanatic. (laughs) And Amped Brunch, tell me about what that was. That had to do with podcasts, right? Yes. So Amped Brunch was for women of color in podcasting, most of whom were in New York. A few of them came from like surrounding East Coast cities. And basically, it's like two friends and I, Barry, who runs Podcast in Color, like the podcast directory, and then Joy Marie, who's a host of Job Logs Podcast. They were having a conversation on Twitter, and I happened to respond and say, like, can I be involved in this? Because they were saying, like, oh, we should plan a brunch. So I'm like, oh, I want to help. Like, I worked for my thesis. I spent a year researching and then designing an experience around podcast listening, how to make it more social and engaging and like continue to help the industry sort of move into the technology age that every other industry has sort of caught up with, with podcasting to be like lagging compared to some other media. So they're like, yeah, like I knew Joy Marie already. We worked at American Express together and had like mutual friend. And then Barry and I had engaged on Twitter because I'm always tweeting about podcasts. And then we pretty much just decided like we were going to do it. So we had like calls every week for like the last few months. Joy Marie suggested that we hosted at Spotify because Spotify is like super open with the space. This was before I even worked there, mind you. <laughs> so that was like really crazy to like have it be last Saturday and I'm there like as an employee also. So we worked on that. We decided to partner with Spotify and basically get like a ton of hosts, producers and like people who work tangentially to the podcast industry to like get together, talk about best practices, challenges that they're facing, ways to market their show, like monetization just like the whole life cycle of like podcasting, but also how that experience uh, goes likely differently for women of color in the industry. How was the turnout? It was pretty good. I would say that we had like 80% of the people who RSVP show up. So to have like 50% of color in a, in a room for brunch, being able to talk about something that people don't typically ask us our opinions about was like really awesome. And we've gotten really great feedback about it. People have been on Twitter I saw like a few days ago, there was a conversation about possibly doing one on the West Coast. And I don't know where that's going to go, but it was just really great to like have an idea and bring it to life, which I haven't done in a while. Let's just segue into podcasting for a minute, because I know we've talked a lot about design and we'll we'll get back to, you know, talking more about it. But how did you kind of first get into listening to podcasts and everything? So I don't remember who recommended the read to me, but someone did. And it was kind of like my gateway into the podcast world. I literally, I don't know. I think I was living in D.C. at the time when I uh, missed out. Like, oh, there are other things in here. And eventually sort of evolved into other shows. And then from there, I think I listened to like another round and serial. And now I basically like my catalog is very diverse in what I listen to on a regular basis. How many podcasts are you listening to? I wish I could give you a number. I'm subscribed probably to over like, mm, I think there are like 30 as I'm scrolling through, probably more. Okay. I'm subscribed to about, I'm looking at my phone now, like 20, but it fluctuates because, you know, some podcasts now do seasons and then some podcasts just drop off and you don't know what happened. So I'm I'm rolling at about, 20 right now and they fluctuate from a, a number of different fields like i've got design podcasts i've got current events i've got a food podcast government etc is there a particular kind that you find you are sort of drawn to most i really like interview based sort of and then like narratives okay yeah but i don't even think that's like <laughs> those aren't necessarily like things that i think about when i'm like how do i pick what i want to listen to i think for me, like the host personality is such a big part of whether or not I listen. Like you could be talking about something that is like 300% relevant to me, but if your personality doesn't seem like genuine or like you just seem uncomfortable, I'm not going to be comfortable listening. So I don't. So that's yeah. like a big deal for me. Yeah. Yeah. The host's energy, because especially, I mean, even if it's, you know, not even just interview driven, I mean, even some of these that are kind of more, I don't know, I guess expository. Like say for example, like I listen to Pod Save America. And Pod Save America is it's a it, they mostly talk about, you know, current events, government. It's more so from a liberal perspective. And the guys, I mean the the whole tone of the show is like super 
bro-y to me, like super oh. fratty, bro-y kind of thing. It's not necessarily something that I would dig on a regular basis, but the way that they talk about the work that they do, because each of the people that, that host the show worked in the Obama administration, so they kind of bring this sort of insider baseball oh. talk about. And so it's like, okay, that to me is kind of more interesting than, say, if I were listening to NPR politics, which I do also listen to, mm-hmm. where it's from this like journalistic policy wonk kind of thing, and they don't yeah. really have inside scoop because they didn't work there they just reported on it if that makes sense but i know what you mean the host energy is is i have stopped listening to great shows because i'm just like i just don't like i can't do this (laughs) yeah and it's it sucks oh i don't say it sucks because some people you know they they like it they like it but it's so important because podcasting is such an intimate medium in terms of you're listening to someone's voice in your ear for you know, 30 minutes or more you gotta like what they what they sound like you gotta like how they you know get the point across yes what did you find from the amped brunch that most people or i'd say most of the women there were like concerned about because like you said the the voice of the black woman doesn't seem to be something that you really hear that much from in podcasting in terms of their opinions yeah like shows like another round you've got the read with Crystal, you have other shows uh, still processing as Jenna Wortham, mm-hmm. you know, hosting there. What did you sort of find, like what insights did you gain from that brunch? So I would say one of the things that really stood out to me was like how people market themselves and mm-hmm. everyone does it so differently. And it's really about like one, knowing your audience and then making a decision about how best to market to them. So one uh, woman there mentioned that she like did calls with some of her listeners just to say thank you. And because she did that, they like evangelized her show almost and let her know when they referred new people. Another person mentioned like, oh, oh, like they'll tweet when they like tweet and say like, tell me if you left an iTunes review. And when that person leaves an iTunes review, like they'll respond back and say like, oh, I left a review. And then she'll DM them and say like, thank you so much, whatever, whatever just as a way to show her appreciation for their support. And I'm like, wow, you know, when you think about marketing for a show and probably wanting your show to be like as big as possible, you're thinking about like, oh, staying in the analytics and trying to figure out where people drop off on your episode. And like, oh, that is fine and well, but like the human element of that is just like, say thank you or ask for feedback and people who want to give it to you will. And you can use that to like switch up what you're doing or make them feel like their voice is heard where if they might've otherwise stopped listening, your talking to them might be the reason that they come back to see like how you might implement their feedback or whatever. So that to me was very interesting just to like get to the really human aspect of it and not be so numbers focused in a place where like the data isn't that great at this point anyway. So you might as well try to be novel about how you approach things. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, kind of to the point what you're saying with with marketing. I mean, I've been podcasting. I've had this podcast for over four years, but in general, I've been podcasting since like 2005-ish, like mm-hmm. 2004, 2005. So I've, I've been on both sides as being a listener, as being a producer. And, you know, a lot of the information that you see with podcasting, it's still centered in and for white guys. You really don't see that much that's geared towards people of color, certainly not for women of color, certainly not for black women. And so I think having an event like AMP is super important to let them know that they're not alone, that they're out here, that they have support, and also to share resources and share tips and and things like that so they know, hey, I've got this kind of sisterhood that I can lean on if I need help with something or if I need inspiration they know that they're out there with other people that are doing the same thing that they're doing. It's like this kind of like shared kinship in a way. Yeah. And I think another thing was that we tried to be very intentional about sort of the like level of podcasting that a person might be at. So we had some people who are like independent, some people who are with the network, some people who have like independent shows that happen to just be really successful. And so by having that sort of like diversity in the room, People who might have smaller shows can talk to people who have bigger shows and like be able to trade insights there. Or if you like have an independent show, but you want to get onto a network, you can talk about that. You know, like with the Heaven and Tracy, like they came right in working with BuzzFeed. So 
you know, their perspective is going to be different from someone like uh, Aminatu, who is like, yes, my show is independent, but it's very well known. And so they have different perspectives around like marketing and ways that you find your voice or use your voice. Like if you're with a bigger network, they might try to send to you. But if you're not, you don't have that problem, but then money might be an issue. And so how do you sort of look at that matrix of things like what the experience could be like and find the perfect spot for what it is that you want to talk about and how you want to talk about it? Well, I'll say that if they have an amped brunch and they do it out west, there actually is a podcasting conference that's coming up in August. Mm-hmm. It's called Podcast Movement. It's in Anaheim from August 23rd through the 25th. I've got a ticket. I haven't decided if I'm going this year. I went last year when it was in Chicago. Yeah. It was great. It actually honestly was one of like my top three conference experiences that I've been to. The interesting thing about a podcasting conference is everyone will talk to you. Like sometimes you'll go to a conference, especially a design conference, and people won't talk to you if they don't know who you are or if, if you're not a speaker or something like that. You can just be kind of wandering around yeah. as a <laughs> Everybody talks to everybody because everybody's trying to plug their show. They've got uh. a sticker or a card or something. Like I walked away probably with about 20 or 30 new shows to listen to People are striking up conversations in the registration line. They're sparking up conversations during lunch, you know, during the times between events. Like it was probably the most heavily networked conference I had ever been to. And I think it was just because it was podcasters. Like everybody talked to each other about everything. That's actually where I first met met Barry was there. Yeah, Uh, I think that's where um, maybe that's where she and Joy Marie met also. And then we all did the event together. So that was like a little seed that happened like a year ago. And then last weekend, we were able to sort of have that all come full circle. Well, I mean, if you if you do it out West, I think it would be interesting to do it kind of around that conference. I know that a bunch of people are coming there. I mean, nationally, internationally, et cetera. I'm still kind of on the fence. I mean, I bought my ticket, but I'm still on the fence about if I want to go. Yeah. Uh, and part of that is because I've been doing podcasting for so long. I didn't feel like I walked away knowing any new stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's such a – also, I just don't want to take that flight. Like, it's from Atlanta to Anaheim. I'll, yeah, I'll be, that's a lot. <laughs> oh, and it's a few, I'll think about it. I'll think yeah. about it. What life advice has stuck with you the longest? When you look back at your career growing up in Chicago, going to Howard, now you're in New York, what stuck with you the longest as life advice? I would say like nurturing relationships. So, so many of the people that I like hang out with regularly in New York are people that I've known from high school and then they're mutual friends. Okay. So that's definitely something that stuck with me just because like you never know what project you're going to work on in the future where it's like you could use the help of someone that you know. And as long as you're like, no, like relationships can't be transactional. I don't think they should be in that you should be trying to think about ways that you can help other people when you have the time, because there might come a time when you like need their help too. And they'll remember that. And also people appreciate that you like think of them as like subject matter experts in particular things. And so Sometimes it's annoying when people ask me, like, can you look at my resume? And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I really hate looking at resumes. But also people have come to know me as someone who can, like, help them, like, better craft the way that their, like, bullet points are laid out or whatever it is. And so it's annoying for me. But I do appreciate that, like, they thought of me and they trust me enough to, like, give them feedback on that thing. And so I just think that's the nature of relationships is just like trying to make sure that you're thoughtful about the way that you treat other people and that you check in on them or whatever, because there will come a time when you need them to be doing the same thing for you. And it's like with the Amped Brunch, like Barry and I have just talked on Twitter and like people don't realize like Twitter is a way of like maintaining relationships. Like you'll meet people on there and like interact with them on a day-to-day or week-to-week basis and there will come a time when you could like meet them in person and you've already sort of laid the foundation for a relationship because you've been having this conversation on Twitter. So like I'm not the best at (laughs) Twitter interactions because I just sometimes don't even remember to like get on but there are other ways that I interact with people who are important to me or relationships that I want to make sure that I'm like continuing to foster with people and I can like focus on how I make sure that I'm helping other people and if I need help, then I'm asking people. Yeah, my grandma always told me to treat relationships like a garden. Mm-hmm. Like you, you take weeds out when stuff pops up, you plant new seeds, you 
you nurture what's already there. So I, I totally get what you're saying there. Do you have a dream project that you'd love to work on? Honestly, if I did have one, it would probably be my own podcast. I mean, I think it's design related in that I would be like super concerned about like my branding and like the way everything looked and the sort of messages that it would convey, but also like the content of it, who it's for. There are a couple of different things I feel like I could talk about. And I think like it would be from a point of view of like the thing that I want to hear that I'm not finding. So I think that would be really awesome. I'm like very nervous about it, which is probably why I know it's a dream project because talking about it, I'm like, I can't even believe I'm saying this right now. But I've gone back and forth about this in my head for like the last year and a half. And so back to like advice that you've gotten is like things that I tell myself all the time is like, just do it. I just like sat here and told you about like working in public and how great it is. And here I am like scared to execute on this dream project, but it is a thing that I think about often. Do it. <laughs> do you know how many black women are out there talking about design on a podcast on a regular basis? Like none. I think one. I know Antoinette Carroll, who we've had on the show before. Uh, she uh, is, I think, vice president, or she was president at one time of AIGA St. Louis. She has a, a podcast called Design and Diversity that I think comes out every month mm. with her co-host. But other than that, I'm really trying to think: Are there black women that talk about design on a podcast? If they are, I haven't, I haven't discovered them. Mm. Uh, and even honestly, even me doing revision path i'm like one of the few black men that are doing it on a regular yeah. basis do it please <laughs> i would stand behind you ten thousand percent if you did it the like, thing about it is that i feel like i would shock people in that i might not even want to talk about design <laughs> like well i think that's fine i mean depending on how you structure your show i mean you can always course correct or change things i mean even with revision path i mean we're a design podcast but we've talked about tech we've talked about current events we've mm -hmm. talked about you know kind of just whatever comes up that's a good point yeah yeah i need to think about that <laughs> i really should do a pilot. I, i'm not gonna be satisfied until i do it so record a pilot get some feedback from some people tweak if necessary i mean you're a designer you know how this you know how this process works <laughs> exactly which is why it should be easy but i'm like so nervous about it What's the the nervousness? Is it like hearing your own voice or getting feedback? What's what's the nervousness about? The hearing my own voice part. Look, I've done almost 200 episodes. And if there's anything that podcasting has helped me with, it's to get comfortable with my voice. Like to to realize that my voice is an instrument. Mm. It's, a, it's not just... I mean, you know, when you hear yourself talk back, you're like, oh, I can't believe I sound like that. And I don't... I think for any podcaster... It's, it's just something you'll never fully 100% get used to. I mean, sometimes I'll listen back to old episodes and I can tell from listening to my voice, like, yep, I was bored. Yep, I was sleepy. Yep. <laughs> you know, like I can, but I can hear that because I've heard my voice so much that I can pick up on my own nuances. And also what helps is you end up picking that up from other people too. So you can tell, like, I can tell if I'm interviewing someone and I feel like it's going south. <laughs> stop it and be like okay let's is something is everything okay or you know and, I, and they'll be like oh i'm so tired like i'm just wiped with a long day i'm like look we can re-record this if you want to like i just you can you'll pick up just more perception of your voice and other people's voices mm -hmm. that's kind of like the super powery part of being a podcast but even just you know you talked about representation and you talked about mentorship and kind of being that person that people can kind of look up to that also will end up happening with podcasts because you end up becoming a subject matter expert with what you're talking about. And people look to you like, Oh yeah, Daytriana, she's got this design podcast. And I mean, really, I don't know of any other black woman besides Antoinette that's doing this on a regular basis. I think she's doing it every month, but I don't, I mean, I don't know what frequency you would want to do it at, but do it, please do it. Please. <laughs> Okay, when I'm reaching out to you for feedback and asking all the right. random questions, be prepared. There needs to be more black women talking about design. There need to be more black women writing about design. There just need to be more black women representing the design industry as a whole. And I, I think it, I think it's like starting 
to change a bit with uh with speaker like even from folks i've had on the show it always like i always get like a little little burst of pride when i see someone who i've had on the show who is now speaking at this conference mm-hmm. or is now doing this video series or something like that like yeah that's what's up there just need to be more black women out there representing and talking about what they do in this industry and you know what they face because oftentimes when you hear about black women and it's you know from a designer or a tech standpoint and I, I don't i don't say this to discount their experiences but it tends to be negative mostly yeah. like that they've had with a with an employer or you know an argument they've had with someone and that's not to say that those things aren't valid but people also want to hear about your craft and your design process and you know what i mean like they want to hear your voice as a designer not necessarily as a dissenter yeah i was just telling a friend of mine that like in anything that i do public facing as it relates to design i don't want to be the diversity voice and i don't want to be the one like coming forward with some juicy story about like all the things that went wrong and like obviously much respect to people who have like endured those kinds of things but like one, I hope to not be in those positions. And two, I don't want to be the person who's just like, every day I have something negative to say about tech because it is a space that I like really enjoy working in. And no, it's not perfect, but I would rather focus on like the positive aspects of it and like ways to help other people like see the beauty in the way that like the tech industry approaches problem solving and like helping people find their place in that space rather than highlighting all the reasons you might not want to come work in tech. I agree. Do it. Do the podcast. Do a short pilot, like 30 minutes or so, and you'll find those 30 minutes will will fly by. Yeah. Just do a short one, get some feedback on it from people, and take it from there. All right, Maurice, you've given me an action item. (laughs) (laughs) Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years? I know, you know, your career is is, uh, is kind of, I won't say it's just starting off, but, you know, you've done these stints at at Amex, at Etsy, now you're at Spotify. Where do you see yourself? It's, let's see, what, 2022, seven, eight, nine, whatever. Five years from now, where do you kind of see yourself? What do you think you'll want to be doing? Oh, that's a tough one. I tried to plan like in like three to six month stints. And so in five years, like I imagine that I will be in some sort of like design management or leadership role. I'm very interested in like helping other people like advance their careers. And I would love to do that from like a design perspective. And I find that I think it was like Christy Tillman who said it, but like one of the biggest design challenges is like designing a team. And I'm like totally up for the challenge of figuring out like how to create high performing teams that like work well together and like actually like each other and make great things. And so that's something that I'm really interested in. So less about the actual work and more about the people, which seems to be kind of a theme for me. Beyond that, I would like to feel like I have sort of found my voice and space in the industry. So whether that's a podcast, writing, both, and other things, I think it would just be great to have like things in the world that do a better job of like expressing and conveying what I think about the industry and like where we can go, how we should be working and sort of like using the things that I've learned from my experience and like sharing them with other people. That's really important to me. Yeah. Like, I mean, if there's a thread that I think anyone can take from this interview is that you've really been able to leverage the skills that you've had throughout the years from business and marketing to being an analyst to now being a designer, you've been able to take that and leverage that to become who you are today. So you didn't follow this straightforward path of went to art school and then you did this and then you did this. You kind of had time to see what was out there in the world and then apply those experiences and those skills to where you are now. Yeah, I would agree with that. So just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? So my portfolio is at DatrianaMeeks.com. It's literally my first and last name. If you go there, it might look different than maybe the last time you've been there because I need to like update it. I kind of want to like shut it down and just have it be like a bio and then bring it back up when I have like projects that I'm proud of because a lot of this is like from school or whatever. And I don't think they're even the best representation of what I think I want my portfolio to be. So that might change in the next few weeks where it's just like, I'm on hiatus until I like 
get some more things out in the world and I can update it. And at this point, I'm not looking for a job. So it's not the most important thing for me. Aside from that, I'm on Twitter at Daytriana M. I tweet occasionally, often about tech and podcasts and random musings of mine. And that's pretty much it. Sounds good. Well, Daytriana Meeks, again, thank you so much for for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your story about, you know, letting people know that even if you started out on one path, you can course correct and you can change things to kind of get to where you are now. And it sounds like each of the experiences that you've had have informed and set you up for the success that you're having now. So hopefully I'll be hearing that podcast soon. (laughs) But thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you. Thoughts of love are in and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Datriana Meeks and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Datriana and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways such as showing how internal design critiques work, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like Origami Studio, popular device templates for Photoshop and Sketch, and even diverse hands for mock-ups. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 15 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow sales and to make money in their sleep. You know, MailChimp has really grown from being just an email service provider to becoming your one-stop place for marketing your business. Aside from sending email, it ties into hundreds of other services like Hootsuite for social media management, Zapier for other integrations, Salesforce as a CRM, Eventbrite for selling tickets, and many, many others. Get everything you need all in one place and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two, and it really, really does help the show out by bumping us up in the rankings for a design podcast, and I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 per month, and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.